Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about stress. How many's feeling that since we're starting the new school year and all kinds of wonderful things like that? Yeah, I got some honest people in the house. Man went to sleep the other night and he finally got to sleep after all the strep. Had a wonderful dream. Dreamed that he was walking on a beach. Sand between his toes. He woke up and he found footprints in the litter box. <laughs> Turns out that wasn't the only thing between his toes. <laughs> Stress, will <laughs> Stress will do funny things to you, won't it? Today we're going to talk about life hacks. Now we know it's from Christ, but I'm telling you, stress cannot own us. It will ruin our life, won't it? It really will. Physically, spiritually, and we're going to talk about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, as you speak to our hearts, let us be open to what you want to say. Holy Spirit, have your way in the name of Jesus. And everyone says, amen, amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and wave at your neighbor. Let them know you're excited that they are in the house of the Lord this morning. Whatever device you're listening by, thank you so much. We appreciate you as well. I was listening to a story a while back, and a gentleman was a leader in the Vietnam War. He had troops underneath him, and he was explaining the difficulty that he had of being in Vietnam in the war. He said, so I found myself in Vietnam, and I was leading some troops who wanted to be there and some troops who didn't want to be there, some troops who understood why we were there and others who did not understand why we were there. Some that had volunteered, some that were enlisted. And he said, on top of all that, of course, I was in a territory that I didn't know the topography of. I mean, I just, he said, I didn't know. And he said, the tremendous amount of stress that he was under trying to bring everybody together as a team. He said, because whenever we got engaged with the enemy, he knew, of course, the bullets started flying and lives were on the line, and you better work together as a team, no matter your background, no matter your ethnicity, anything like that. All that stuff doesn't matter. You've got to have your brothers back. But he was talking about the tremendous stress that he was under. And I was thinking about that story. I was thinking about us. And I was thinking, to some degree, we can all relate to that. Now, maybe not in the same situation. We've never fought in a war or been in the military or things like that. But you have your own thing that you're trying to fight. You're in a new situation that you've never been around. And all of a sudden, you got things coming at you that you didn't even know existed because of the situation you're in. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Now you have new relationships and conversations that you're having to have that you didn't have to have previous and all this new stuff. And now you're in a situation you're trying, for some of you guys who are entrepreneurs, who are building things, you're having to rally around and gather a team. And sometimes some of the team members don't even want to be there. They just want to punch in, collect their check, and go home. Okay? And it's very difficult to motivate. So to some degree, you guys can all understand that. Maybe you're in a relationship that's really, really struggling. And you've done everything that you possibly can do, and it doesn't seem like it's getting better. It keeps you up at night. Maybe you see kids struggling. Maybe you see grandkids struggling. It keeps you up at night, and you pray, and you pace, and you do these things, and they're very natural. I think one of the things that we must understand is that it's not something that we can avoid. Stress is not something that's just going to go away. Now, we can keep it from owning us, absolutely, but we're not going to be plucked out of the atmosphere of stress. That's just life here on earth in so many forms and facets. Whether it's relationship or employers or maybe even the church situation, whatever it could be, there are things that cause stress. And today, as we're going to look at Peter, and we're going to uh, understand what he's trying to communicate to us, and then we're going to look at the life of Christ. And this is the reason why I do this. I know that it's not very common to maybe take two forms of two different scriptures in two places and kind of run them parallel. But this is the opinion that I've come to in my life. I appreciate what Peter says, and I know that the Holy Spirit moved upon men of old to write 
the, the glorious Bible as we know it, right? However, I also like to see, though, what Peter wrote. Did Jesus do it? And it's very interesting when you do that because the reason why Peter wrote it is because he saw Christ do it. That gets me excited. So as we look at Peter, we're also going to look back in Christ feeding the 5,000 and see if he did some of the same things he did. Because that was my question. Did Christ at all, does he see the stress that we have? Now, there's two forms of stress, and many of you guys know this. There's the stress, stress of life. It's things that you don't see coming. Really not your fault. Many times we think, well, stress is caused by sin. Well, not all the time. Sometimes you're doing things right. The devil doesn't like it. Sometimes you're doing things right, and you have to deal with people that are not very smart. <laughs> and, and they don't care. They don't care about your feelings, your emotions, where you're at. Come on now. And you have stress from that, right? Okay? But we also have distress. Distress is stress that we see coming, but we don't get prepared for it. See, that's a different thing. Sometimes that is, opened up, that is a door that's opened up into our life. And, and just because that, that's coming doesn't mean you're in sin either. Some of you guys know the decisions that you have to make in your job. You know the decisions you have to make in relationships. You know the decisions that you have to make in, in your career or family or whatever it is, and you see the stress coming. And you know it's going to be there. There's nothing you can really do. You haven't done anything wrong. It's just a situation that we live in, and that's distress and stress. But the reality is that God will meet us wherever we're at in that. Yeah, he's into people who, who come sometimes make mistakes and do things on their own, right? Anybody made mistakes? Yes. If you're wondering, does God talk about you in the Bible? Yes, it says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. So next time somebody says, does the Bible talk about me? You can say, yes, it sure does. Okay, it, your name is all because we've all done it. Okay, we've all been in the situation. But stress can own us. Now, before we get going too far, look up at the screen here. I want to show you guys some life hacks that's helped me out. You guys see any spaghetti lovers in here? Yeah, if you've ever wondered what a serving of, and this was funny, you know, we have the identification crisis kind of all over America. That's not funny. But I love watching some of them because some of them I, I'm at home with. You know, they, they read a box of lasagna and say, you know, I'm a one person, but I identify as a whole family because I'm going to eat this whole plate of lasagna. You know what I mean? Anyways, so if you're, if, if you're wondering about how you serve spaghetti, what's a serving of spaghetti? That little hole in the middle of the spoon, that's going to help you out. That's a whole serving. So no more of just putting six or eight in there. You can be responsible, okay? Just took the fun out of it. Here's another one that I found out that was really, really good, okay? How many of you guys knew the drawer on the bottom of your stove was to warm bread and pies and things like that? Yeah, some of us did. I didn't know that till a couple years ago. I just thought it was to store stuff in, you know? You pull it out, and, and some of us have lived in some of those places, right, where you have a stove and you have a drawer at the bottom, but because when you turn off the lights and you go to bed and things tend to crawl, I ain't storing any food up underneath there. You guys lived in, say, yeah, yeah, honesty, okay. You guys have lived in some places like that. You know what I'm saying, all right? Okay, here's the third one. Here's the third one that I love. Now, if you look at the fuel gauge, if you notice that arrow that's on the left side, it's on y'all's left side as well, it's on the left side of, of the gas tank, that shows you which side of the car your, your fill up, uh, your, your, where you fill it up and you put the, uh, the gas pump in. Yeah. I didn't know. So I can't even tell. That's how ignorant I was. I was, I was always, how many of you guys have done this? You've driven in, there's like 400 people, and there's only like one thing open, right? So you're trying to get nervous, and then, then you finally pull in, and you pull on the wrong side. Anybody that's ever happened to? Happens to me, okay? So what do I have to do? I get out, put my card in the thing, and then I realize that I'm on the wrong side. So I get back in my car, spin around really quick so nobody takes my spot, and roll back on the right side. Okay, as you're pulling into the gas station next time, what happens is that little arrow helps us understand which side we fill up our car on. 
So no need to get nervous. No need to get on the wrong side. Just look at your deal. And if you're driving a car you don't know, then it really helps out. We would say, well, we're not nervous about filling up. Well, when it's $5 a gallon, I get pretty nervous sometimes. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Open up the pipeline. Okay, so there's just some hacks that will, that's another hack that would be better. Anyways, okay, so there's some hacks that will help us out, but as we jump into Scripture here and we have some fun, the first thing that I want to establish is understanding Christ. Christ's character, understanding our Lord and Savior, our God that we serve, his character. Remember, Christ came to earth, God wrapped in human flesh, right? Emmanuel, God with us. Does, does he struggle with the stress? As I was reading scripture, does he struggle? Did he have any? Because after all, John chapter one, we know that he was in the beginning and everything that was made was made through him and he knew it and the light is not, the light's gonna overcome the darkness. So he knows everything, but did he really struggle with it? And I think Christ did a great job of that last week whenever he talks about the revelation of the duality of Christ, that fully God and fully man. But he had those things in his life that he struggled with. So I went to the Old Testament, and of course you can find out through the Old Testament many things about God. It, doesn't, it still needs to be connected to the New Testament. Can I get an amen on that? Both of them are very good. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32. We see here the prophets crying out. So this whole chapter is about the justice of God. The very last scripture, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. So, cry, so God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. What a very powerful statement. We see a God who says to turn and live. We see a God who chased the Israelites when, they had did, when they've done some really, really dumb stuff, Right? They had turned their backs on God. It seems like the second or third generation, if you study, turned their backs on God and started doing really, really silly stuff. I wonder if we're living in the second and third generation. I don't know. Good question to ask, right? But they would do that. You see God chasing the Israelites, following them, loving them. They'd get into a predicament and he would get out of them. He'd get it out. Now, they had consequences. That's one thing that we must understand. God will get you out, but he doesn't always remove the consequences. Okay, there's things that we have to walk through. But we see here a loving God that says, listen, I don't want anybody to die. I want them to turn. And that really messes up with our theology. Have you guys ever been involved in a story that you've been reading? We read the Old Testament and we see the Philistines get it, man. Samson pushes the pillars apart and they fall down and we're like, kill them all, right? Oh, come on, be honest with me. Be honest with me. Crossing the Red Sea and the Israelites make it. They turn around and look back on Pharaoh's army and boom, the waters collide and we're like, they got what they deserved. We get involved in the story, don't we? I was, watching, I was uh, reading the book Lone Survivor and it was at the part where the gentleman, was, he had lost three of his team members, and he was in Afghanistan. He lost three of his team members, and he got, in a, he got into some trouble. And he was falling down the ridge. And if you've ever seen the movie or read the book, you know what part I'm talking about. So I'm in, I'm in my room, and I'm reading, right? And we get to that part, and he's falling off the cliff, and his 223 goes one way, and stuff is going everywhere, and he gashes his leg, and he's at the bottom, and he's packing his leg full of mud to stop the bleeding. Man, I was there. You know what I'm talking about? Mary walks in the room and goes, Matt. And I'm like, what? You know? She goes, my Lord, Matt. I said, man, I was there. We were falling down the ridge together. I felt his pain. We get there, though, don't we? You guys know what I'm talking about. We get there, and we look in that, but that's not the God we serve. The God we serve says, no, repent, turn, stay alive. And that's how much he loves us. Now, 
If we turn to the New Testament, we see Paul begins to speak to his young protege, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. It starts out right before that in 3, God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Then we see 2 Peter, and this is Peter we know that was crucified upside down. Peter that gave one of the greatest sermons of all time. How do we know it was a great sermon? Because he articulated well. Well, he did that, but I would argue that 4,000 people gave their heart to God that day. That made it a great day. This is what he says. He says, the Lord is slow to fulfill, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Thank God. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And we see the same thing. And there's multiple things that we could pick out. And we see a God who pursues his people, who loves his people, who comes to earth and gives his life for his people. We see the same thing over and over and over again. In the Gospels, it shares three important parables, the lost sheep. Now, in that parable, many of you guys are familiar with it. In that parable, what, what, what God is trying to show us is there's sheep in a pen. There's sheep that's with a flock and they're guarded by their shepherd. Then that sheep out of ignorance just begins to walk away and stray from the herd. And what we find out is God will leave the 99 to go after the one. But the sheep strays just got of ignorance. God leads people and sometimes we can be ignorant. Right? But he still doesn't stop pursuing us. And then the lost coin. Now the lost coin, the woman has the coin and she's looking all over her house and she can't find the coin. And this is the interesting thing about the coin. The coin is not lost because of the coin. The coin is lost because of the handler. So it shows that, that God's looking. The, the, the coin is lost for the handler. And we know that God doesn't lose us. But sometimes we can get involved in things with false teaching. Okay, You hear this word going around, the deconstruction of Christianity. It's people who's walking in apostasy and leading people away from the Lord. And you guys need to know this because it's coming on social media and it's coming on all these platforms and it sounds like something that you want to be challenged by and you don't want any part of it. But God will meet you where you're at. woman ran all over the house trying to find the coin and the coin was lost. Sometimes we can get involved in things that will pull us away from God. Who we'll call separation. We can get involved in things that will blind our eyes to what God's really trying to do. Does God try not to find us? No, he goes after us. Amen. Then we see the last one, the prodigal son, and we know that one very well. The prodigal son is, by his own desires, is drawn away from his father. He's finally in the hog pen, stinks, hungry, frustrated, aggravated, you know, sometimes it's good just to leave a person where they're at. You know what I mean? Like God work on them. He has his own way of doing that. Frustrated, aggravated, but the one thing he remembers is what? I've got a father who loves me. Gets out of the pen, goes back to his father's house, and it says his father's house is on the, his father's on the porch waiting to run to him, isn't he? Meets him. He meets him. So we need to establish that we have a God that will meet us where we're at. Why is that so important? Because when we look at the mission of Christ, that all would be saved, that all would return to repentance, that all would be found, that all would be pulled back to the flock, that all would return from their own desires and follow him. You talk about some pressure when you walked in these towns and what happens? They rejected him. They got mad at him. 
They wanted to stone him. And then even then we see the love of God. They would all rise up after he healed the entire town, after he did amazing teachings and wonderful things, and they would want to stone him. But instead of striking them with blindness or killing them, he would walk out because he knew he had something else he needed to take care of. Even to the point on the cross, we see our Lord and Savior looking down and saying what? Forgive them for they know not what they do. You talk about some stress in the job when you're going from town to town, realizing that you're going to be rejected. So I think that God, as we read last week, God can sympathize, sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who can do that, and his name is Jesus. And always being tempted like we were, Hebrews chapter 4. So we establish that, and we know that in our life that we see that God's, Christ saw some stress in his life. But it didn't stop him down from the pre- it didn't stop him from the from going forward the pressure the pressure and the constant opposition and it didn't keep him from his mission. But if you and I will allow stress into our life, it will begin to deter us and begin to determine where we go and what we do. And we've all experienced it. Massive stress equals massive fatigue. Our mind gets blocked. We have some things that we want to accomplish that day, and we can't get them accomplished just because of the stress and the doors that's been opened to that. I was, talking to last Sunday, I was talking to the congregation last Sunday night, and I constantly say this to my youth on Wednesday. I said, it's really easy. Really, life's a series of doors that are open and doors that are closed. Amen. God will bring you to doors, and it's your choice to open it and walk through it. But sometimes we walk through doors that he never brought us to. So we've got to choose what to shut out of our life and what to open to let God do things in our life. Right? But whenever we have stress, whenever we have frustration and aggravation, have you guys ever... Been there? Growing up in my house, there was four of us. Susie, Shannon, Mark, and Matt. And at times, my parents would get really aggravated. Now, I know none of y'all get this at the, at the deal. Have you ever ran through the whole list of your kid's name before you got to the one that you finally arrived at? You even ran through the dog and the cat. <laughs> I can remember my mom. She, she came here first service, not this one, so I'm going to tattle on her. But I can just remember her. Susie, Shannon, Mark, Matt! <laughs> And I knew I was in trouble, dude. If they ever said Matt Allen, I'm telling you, dude. So, yeah, I was in trouble, okay? But frustration blinds us. It aggravates us. Sometimes we can't get engaged like we need to be engaged. And then it has health concerns. But it's not just what Christ went through. We also see that it's what the patriarchs and the matriarchs and the patriarchs of the Bible went through. Remember, they had to build walls around Jerusalem. They had, to, they had to make clothes, not like we do today, thank God. My goodness, we got machines. Praise the Lord, right? But they had to feed people. They had to build things. They had to engage. Paul even puts in the New Testament that at times for him to fund his ministry, he had to go out there and build tents during the day so that he could preach the gospel at night or whenever he did. You're talking about some stress. So it's not just what you go through. And this is the thing that we all share in common, whether we look at Christ's life, whether we, whether we look at the matriarchs and the patriarchs and the prophets of the Old Testament or the disciples of the New, that God didn't pluck any of them out and he won't pluck us out either. But he will be with us as we walk through it. And we lean in towards him. But we know there's some health problems. Listen to some of these health problems that comes with stress if we don't get it cleaned up, okay? Digestive trouble. So it's linked. You have a stomach ache. Commonly, um, slow down. It's common to, to slow down digestion, and you can't empty the stomach, which is almost gross for me even to say I understand. Okay, then it's even linked to some obesity. It's an increase in appetite, which can lead to weight gain. How many of you guys ever stress eat? Do I have any honest people in here? Yes. Okay, so I stress eat. 
from time to time. That really didn't work for me when, you're, when I was a basketball coach and I lost a lot, okay? Because whenever I lost a lot of games, I was up underneath a lot of stress and I ate a lot of food. Nobody else probably in here. But me, I did. It's linked to the immune system. So you weaken the immune system and then the nervous system. Anxiety, depression, loss of sleep, and lack of interest in physical activity. And you can see what the toll that it takes on the body. When I was in Wichita Falls and I'd gotten myself into a bind and several things that I thought I needed to set out on an adventure to do and God didn't speak to me, I was just trying to be God, I guess. You know what I found out? If I let God be God and I'll just be me, things work out a lot better. You know what I mean? But I thought I had to do all this stuff to prove my myself and provide and all these different things and what I wound up doing is anxiety and depression have you guys ever woke up in the middle of the night pacing the halls maybe you got something on your mind that you're praying about can't sleep can't eat that type of thing I mean it's a real deal and then the cardiovascular system it's an increase in blood pressure so you have so many things and you wonder why you got up in the morning and you almost wanted to throat punch two people right choke a couple people out and you're not even to work yet (laughs) you know you know You wonder why? Well, stress. (laughs) Stress that's not taken care of that we don't find hacks for in our life that we all face can put us in bad situations and we have to combat it. It's hard to be a spouse. It's hard to be the lover, the friend, the parent, the leader, the visionary that Christ intended us to when we're so weighed down by stress, isn't it? And that's what he intended us to do. So as we go forward here, let's look to Peter to give us some advice, and, and then we'll go back and see what Christ did. Now, what we're going to talk about, Christ feeding the 5,000, this is found in Matthew chapter 14. But we're going to start out in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And Peter is writing his book to people who've been exiled, to his Jewish friends and family who's out there. And they're frustrated and they're aggravated, no doubt scared. They're in the middle of a stressful situation. And Peter says, hey, this is how you're going to deal with it. And he's talking to him. And he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A great hack for the stress that we see is you have to position your mind. If you, want, if you, if you walk away with one thing, just walk away with position in your, in, in your mind today. Because we're going to talk about positioning your mind and positioning your body and positioning your prayer life. But he positioned his mind. We see that Peter is writing, and he's saying, therefore, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Do you see what he says? All that has to do with the mind. Prepare your mind, make sure you're making sober decisions, and then at the same time, you have to set your mind on Christ. It's not always the big changes that we need to make. I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe it's just small changes. Small changes lead to the biggest differences you can ever imagine. There's 440 minutes in a day. If you took out the first 30 minutes of your day to worship, to read, and to love Christ, how much would it change the other 1,410 minutes? It's under 2% of your day that you would give to God. It's under 2%. If we take the average person three meals a day, In one year, we eat around about 1,100 meals a year. We'll just say 1,000 meals. If you fasted for a week, fasted and prayed for a week, and just gave up 15 of the 1,000, how much different would your year be? Or maybe if you can't do them all together, you choose, I'm going to fast this meal and fast this maybe one meal a week for 15 weeks. 
It's not the big changes. Sometimes the enemy will fight us and say, well, you can't do that, or we'll, we'll want to please God so much. Have you guys ever wanted to please somebody so much that you really step off in faith, and man, it is deep. And you find out, man, I can't do this. Let's take a step back. Some of the small changes mean the biggest thing. Now, Paul, or Peter is saying, listen, you got to prepare your mind. So let's catch up with Christ here. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. So what's happening is in chapter 13, he's been teaching, and he has been preaching, man. He has been shucking the corn, let me tell you. He's been talking about the sower. He's been explaining tares and weeds. He's been talking about the kingdom of heavens like a mustard seed. He's been talking about the importance of hidden treasure and costly pearls. He's been teaching about the dragnet. He goes back to Nazareth, and he begins to teach, and he teaches so well there that people are astonished. I mean, he's been through some stuff before he ever feeds the 5,000. So after he teaches all that, after he goes through all that at Nazareth, he gets, he gets this information. John the Baptist has been beheaded. Now, John the Baptist was the cousin of Christ, right? John the Baptist was there whenever Jesus got baptized. I mean, they had been through some stuff. Imagine that moment. He's out there baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ. It says, repent and be baptized. Jesus walks up to the shore and he goes, behold the Lamb of God. He says it three different times. Jesus walks up to John and says, I need you to baptize me. John looks at him and says, no, we need to switch places. You need to be baptizing me. He said, no, baptize me, and John did it. Jesus comes up out of the water. The water's trickling off his face. It says the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And then this voice out of heaven says what? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What an amazing moment. I mean, John, was a, he'd taken a Nazarite vow to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was doing all kinds of things that he changed. He wouldn't cut his hair. He wouldn't eat or drink certain things. I mean, he had made some sacrifice so he could be the path, that he could be the messenger, the voice crying in the wilderness, be, prepare the way of the Lord. So whenever Jesus gets this information, you can imagine, it's pretty tough to handle but he has a mission, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. So all that happens, and this is, what, this is what happens next. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, now what the crowds heard was not the death of John the Baptist. They heard that Christ was going to a new place. It's amazing how whenever tragedy strikes your life, people don't know. One of the first things that I've learned as tragedy struck our life is the world doesn't stop, does it? It's hard. You walk out of your house, it's kind of almost ultra weird. You walk out of your house and the sun's still shining and birds are chirping. People are going to work and you think the whole world should shut down. Has anybody else ever been there? And the crowds heard it and they followed him anyways. And this is something else I find that people, because they tend to be selfish, will continue to draw out of you and draw and draw. They'd seen him do the miracles, and when they found out where Christ was, they were coming to him, and he said, I've got to get to a place by myself. I've got to get a place away from the crowds. Of course, then later on, he went ashore and saw the great crowd, and he began to have compassion on them. But what do we have to do? Well, whenever we position our minds, it's what Peter said, therefore prepare your minds. Whenever, in the King James Version, it actually says, gird up the loins of your minds. And, and that really comes from, back in the day, the kings and, and queens and things like that, they would have long trains. 
And if they needed to move quickly, what they would do is they'd take those long robes and they'd pull them up and they'd take two ropes and tie it around them so they could get out of Dodge in a quick, fast, in a hurry. And that's what he's saying. And we see that with Christ. Christ heard the news. He knew that God still had him on mission, but he needed to get out by himself. He had to prepare his mind. For us, go find that place of peace. Where's your place of peace at? Is it the chair in your room? Is it out on the back porch drinking coffee? Is it out by yourself where nobody else can draw things from you? It's okay to be in that place to go by yourself and let peace be restored to your life. You gotta set your mind correctly. And being sober-minded, see, it was sound judgment. See, Christ makes a sound judgment. He says, I've gotta go find. He, go, he went and found a desolate place. So he knew he had to get away, then he goes and does it. Listen, it's not just enough to know I need to do something. I've gotta go get it done. Go find that place of peace and relax. One of the hardest things in the world that we live in of hustle and bustle that we live in is setting down and relaxing and let God work in our life. Find that place of peace. Get your mind back. Peter continues, set your hopeful on the grace that uh, will, be thought, uh, will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we see that what he's saying is you set your mind on the grace that we know that is brought to us by Christ. See, Christ still knew he had a mission, so he went back and he didn't clear his mind. Listen, do not clear your mind, okay? This, this um, Middle Eastern mystical stuff that's floating around, that's been floating around, the worst thing you can do is clean your mind. If you go read scripture, you find out what happens to people who clean themselves and did not put the Spirit of God back inside of them, okay? Bad things happen to them. Christ didn't sneak up a hill, hide behind a tree, and meditate and clear his mind. He went up there to have conversation with Father God. And he spoke and he talked to him. That way he could come back down because God still has a mission for you. So you go find your place of peace, you sit down, you meditate on the things of God, and you let God restore and transform your mind. Because the crowd's coming. God's got more for you. He's not done with you. Can you say amen on that? I'm glad he's got more. But stress, stress will take it away from you. Stress will take it away. We'll also have to position ourselves, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the, um, to the passions, uh, excuse me, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We were all ignorant at one time, weren't we? That's hard to say, isn't it? We're kind of like the sheep who had gone astray. But as he who called you holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter's, reading, uh, Peter's telling us some stuff. He goes, listen, you gotta be obedient. You can't conform. That means don't go back to where you came from. One thing that I know is that people will go back to what they're familiar with. When stress really hits you, if you had a tendency to lend yourself towards fear, you're gonna start fearing again. Let's even jump down and get a little bit deeper. If you got some sin in your life and, 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 and stress drove you to it, so to speak, and maybe it was lust, or maybe it was greed, maybe it was anger, you will go back to those things because stress will make you. That's the reason why Peter says, do not go back to who you formerly were. Those passions, that's ignorance. You don't want to go back to that because God wants us to move forward. So we guard ourselves. We position ourselves and say, God, what are you saying to me? Are you saying that I need a break? Are you saying that I need to pray? How are you saying to fill myself? I love it in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15 through 19. It catches us in the middle of the story here, and this is what we see. The disciples come up to Christ. I'm going to paraphrase it just for time's sake. He comes up, the, the disciples come up to Christ and say, hey, you need to send these people away. Okay, now remember, the Pharisees and Sadducees taught that the people were the problem. They were perfect. 
The stress is on because they need to feed the people. What do the disciples revert back to? Let's get rid of them. And Christ says this. He goes, no, you provide for them. What he was trying to show them is the answer is in your midst. You just got to look to the right source. They were looking to themselves. If you're in the midst of stress and you look to yourself, you will not make it. We look to Christ. And that's what he was trying to get them to do. So what did they do? They began to position themselves. Okay, let's go around and see what kind of food we have. What do we have? Five loaves, two fishes. Okay, here you go, God. Then God began to position Christ, began to position himself. What did he do? He took up the five loaves, two fishes. He blessed them. He began to set people in groups. And then he began to start feeding them. Can you imagine starting that out? You see 5,000 plus people and all you've got is a couple loaves and a couple fish. But it's faith, but I'm going to position myself. God, I don't think there's enough money in the bank, but I'm going to position myself. I don't know if I have enough emotional energy left in me, but God, I'm going to position myself. Because I believe that you're going to do a miracle through me. I believe that your power, it's not me, but it's Christ in me. So you position yourself. That's what Peter's talking about as he's talking about to the people that are being exiled. He's saying, listen, don't go back to who you formerly were, that ignorance. Be obedient And then also, be holy in all your conduct. Conduct always follows faith. Faith wells up within your heart. Your conduct are to change. What do you need to do? In Christ's situation, he started handing out food and putting people in groups and doing all. What do you got to do? What do you have to do that's going to take faith that doesn't look like this is even possible, but I'm going to begin? One of my favorite stories about Ray of Hope is whenever they were pouring the concrete uh, parking lot over there where it used to be there in Comanche at the Asbury Complex now. $1,200, which was taken up on a Sunday night. And before it was over, they were able to pour the whole parking lot. But you just begin where you are. It seems silly. It doesn't seem like this is going to work. But you know what? The, the, the parking lot was poured. Because you've got to begin where you are. What is God telling you to do? Finally, we want to position your prayers. Now, 1 Peter chapter 17, verse 19. We're going to start uh, through 19. I, I want you to read it, but we're just going to concentrate on verse 17. And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially, and he goes through this whole list and he says, listen, it's not within yourself. You have to call on God. You have to call on God. You go back and remember that you were ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that it's not by perishable things. Our mind floats towards things that are, are so uh, materialistic. And Peter's saying, do not do that. And at the end of the 5,000, so Jesus is spent. He's spent. And we catch up with him, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 and 3. This is what's interesting to me. He finally positions his prayer life. Check this out. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So it's Christ. Have you ever insisted that anybody leave your house? Oh, no, you guys are perfect. Yeah taking phone calls that really didn't happen. Like, man, I gotta, I'm sorry, it's an emergency. <laughs> you know, if you've ever been out on a bad date, you know what I'm talking about, right? Here's Christ in the story, and what does he do? He says, disciples, you go on across, and then he dismisses the crowds. And what does he do? He goes up to the mountain and prays. Many times when stress hits, we begin to fill ourselves with other things. He didn't go to sleep. He didn't go find something to eat. He didn't do those things. He went up and fill themselves with prayer. As people come to you, as these situations take, people take, it's hard emotionally and physically and spiritually. We have to be careful what we fill ourselves with. Once again, you guys have prayer lives. You guys talk to Christ. 
You tell him you love him and you worship him and you walk after him and do all those things that you know you need to do. But sometimes it's just a matter of when you do it. You need to do it before conversations and you need to do it after conversations. You need to do it before trouble and after trouble. You need to do it when we understand and especially in those moments when we don't understand. We go back and we position our prayer life and say, I'm gonna get away, I'm gonna position myself because I know that I've had about all. Have you ever had about all you can take? Yeah, my mom would say that. I knew she meant business, <laughs> right? So we go back, just like my friend spoke on a Wednesday night and asked this question, will God run? The answer is yes, God will run. He'll meet you where you're at. He'll meet you, he'll run through a house. He'll run out of the pen to go get the one that strays. He'll run off the porch to meet you, dirty, stinky, and nasty. But the question remains, will you allow him to meet you where you're at? I don't know what you're struggling with, but I know it's real, and it's tough, and it's difficult. For you, it might be salvation. Will you let him meet you where you're at? Because he'll run to you. He loves you more than what you think. And sin can make us feel so worthless can make us feel like we're abandoned, can make us feel like we don't stand a chance, can make us feel like God can never use us. Stress can do the same thing. Make us do things that we would normally not ever do, but yet we're stressed. God will meet you where you're at. Will you allow him to meet you where you're at? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, as we come to you in this moment, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, God, that we feel. Father, I know that I'm talking to many saints in the room, talking to many saints who are listening, and I thank you for their prayers and for their love. Father, I know that you're going to use them. But in this moment, God, before we go that far, we want to pause. You'll meet us where we're at. You'll meet us when we stray. You'll meet us when we're lost. You'll meet us when we're drawn out by our own desires and we know better. We just gotta allow you to meet us there. And Father, for the one who struggles with self-esteem, who struggles with thinking that you could ever love them, that you could ever use them, that this love is not for them, but God, it is for them. You, you would rather us turn and repent and live. You desire that no one would die without knowing you and having a relationship with you. So Father, in this moment, in this congregation, whoever's listening, God, if there's one amongst us that is not saved, that has not given their heart to you, God, that the barriers would be torn down, that the walls would fall. And that as they feel your love and grace, they would just respond with a resounding yes. For the one who has drifted from you, and they know that where they're at is not where they need to be, they know that you have better for them. They know that they are not living the life that you have for them. God, right now, we just come against the enemy that would speak any kind of negativity over their life. We come against 
the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ and we know that your power overwhelms, that your grace overwhelms, that your blessings overwhelm. So overwhelm that person right now, we pray. That they would surrender their life and commit their life to you and they would get back in line. They would fall in line to a God who loves them and cares for them. For my brothers and sisters who are in this room who are caught like what we like to say in Oklahoma, they're caught in a sticker patch. Seems to no matter which way they move, there's something else going on. There's something else that's causing pain. They're tired. And God, they're looking to you for help. I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them, God. I pray that they wouldn't feel alone. That stress is a part of our life. It's a part of what we, what we endure, what we walk through. But we don't have to let it win. Would you stand up with me all across the building? We're going to practice what we preached. It's all about positioning our mind and positioning ourselves and positioning our prayer life. Like I said, many of you guys have prayer lives. I'm not, I'm not saying you don't. Here in a second are prayer warriors or prayer partners are going to come down and line the front and as they move I'm going to invite you to come down if it's a mind thing come down and surrender it to Christ if it's a pride thing where you know that moving from your seat and coming down here it's just a physical positioning hey that's important or you want that prayer to start today and say God I know I'm in the midst of the battle and I can't go any further so that prayer starts now would my prayer people come down? As they move, I want to invite you. Come on down. Move from your seats right now. And as they move, we're going to pray because we know how hard it is sometimes to move when people are watching. Father, our hearts are bowed to you. And God, we just invite people to move from their seats, God, and what they're facing, their stress, their anxiety. And they're going to come down forward, God, and they're going to partner with one of our prayer partners. We release them, God, to do that. Brothers and sisters, right now, we're not judging. We're simply praying that you would move, God. That you would move and encourage. That if it's salvation, they would say yes. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We want to pause. Just take a minute or two. Would some of you guys and gals that just come down here and lay your hands on a shoulder. Find a shoulder. We don't want anybody to be alone. We don't want anybody to be alone. Take out time to come down here. If you just want to stand here in the middle and just release some things to God, we want to invite you to do that. This is the most important part. Right now we know that some people are opening up their hearts and their lives and we want to give them that opportunity. If you're sitting in your seats, just stretch a hand forward and you can partner with them from your seats. Just stretch a hand forward for what they're going through, what they're battling with. Father, we thank you right now and we just partner with our brothers and sisters, God. We partner with our brothers and sisters that are at the altar, that are in their seats, God. God, you know what they're going through. You know the struggle, God. You know what it means to be overwhelmed. You know what it means at times, God, to have crowds draw from you, to have things happen, God, that's tragic, that's difficult. Yet the mission continues, God. We're not to walk backwards. So, Father, as obedient children, they're coming down or they're sitting in their seats and they're lifting their hands and saying, God, I'm positioning my mind, focusing in on you. I'm positioning myself, God, 
being willing to respond to what you say. And Father, we're going to pray right now and after for the battle that they're in. The battle that you know that rages, Father. You can give them the grace that they need. You can give them the direction and the wisdom, Father. And we release that into their life because it's very real to you. Thank you that you're a high priest that knows what we're going through in every way, tempted like we are tempted. So, Father, we pray that the stress would be released, that it will not win, and our hope is in you. Father, as we go out this next week, as we face the circumstances, the relationships, the job, the overwhelming nature of things, God, we just pray that that victory would rise up within our hearts, God, that you've called us to, that it's you in us, and we know that it's true, and we have that promise in our life. So let your face shine upon us. Let us go out and be the witnesses that you've designed us to be, that city set upon a hill, God, that's separated yet involved. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, everyone says amen. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.